Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 150. I'd just like to say before I introduce this week's guest, big thank you to everyone who supported the podcast so far. Whether you've literally just listened to one episode or whether you've listened to the majority, you've shared it, retweeted, posted on Instagram, massive thank you to everyone that supported it. Um, I really appreciate it. I'm delighted to say this episode is with the director of Sportsmith and Pacey Performance podcast host, Rob Pacey. So Rob's someone I've wanted to get onto the podcast for a while, but obviously also someone whose work that I've followed for a long time. I've referenced his podcast on this podcast numerous times um, and the work that he's done, the guests that he's interviewed, and now all the work that he's getting done with Sportsmith as well. Um, And it's absolutely first class. And we speak about his career because I know he speaks with a lot of people and he doesn't talk too much about himself on the podcast. So it it was good to dive into his career. But then we also go in detail on some of the surveys that he's been running. So the football survey and also the academy survey um, and some of the takeaways from it and maybe thoughts going forward for coaches as well. So we get in um, into all sorts of detail around the surveys um, and I hope you take plenty from it. As this podcast podcast gets released, we have got our next networking event, which will be tomorrow um, Thursday, the 19th of August at Rotherham United at the stadium, the New York Stadium with Ross Burberry and Tom Scoopian presenting for us. So I hope to see many of the listeners there at the event. Uh, there's been great uptake on the event, so I'm really looking forward to getting that event going this week. But we have also, if you can't make the event at Rotherham, We've got um, our next confirmed event is Tuesday the 31st of August at Preston North End's training ground and we've got sports scientist Luke Hemmings and Liam Anderson previously of Crew Alexandra presenting for us and again we've got um, a few practitioners booked on so far from a number of different clubs so you can come and check that one out if you can't make Rotherham and if you can't make either event All the presentations from our events get uploaded onto our online community. So go and check the community out. Go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top. If you register there and go through the full sign-up process, it'll set you up with one month free on the community. After that free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward. So you get access to all the presentations that are on there currently. But all the events that we've announced now... And we've got some great events to announce very soon as well. You'll get access to all the presentations from those those events on the community, whether you can make the events or not. So I hope to see many of you guys at at the events coming up. Again, huge thank you for your support. We've reached episode 150 and I'm delighted to bring you this chat with director of Sportsmith, Rob Pacey. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast... Director of Sportsmith and host of the Pacey Performance Podcast, Rob Pacey. Rob, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Hey, it's absolutely class to get you on because you probably kind of know this already, but you're a massive influence on me starting this podcast. And I've referenced yours a number of times. I'm sure there's probably everyone listening to this podcast that has listened to your podcast before. But the work that you do and the, the guests that you've had on, um, it's been absolutely quality for the industry as a whole. So I, I just wanted to start by saying that. And then we're obviously going to touch on some of the work that, that you've been doing 
Um, well, a very a small percentage because I know you've got loads going on, but <laughs> some of the work that you've been doing recently, which I think has been great, um, which we'll dive into as well. But no, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And essentially keep up the good work because you, you're taking the industry forward massively. So I appreciate it. No, thank you very much for the kind words. It's I, I didn't pay you for that. So thank you. Appreciate <laughs> it. Appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> no, that's class. Well, um, I've said that, Obviously, a lot of the listeners probably have listened to your podcast, but I was thinking before, I wonder how many people, and I know you've mentioned it in yours, but know your full story. Um, mm. So do you want to take us through a bit of background to start with on yourself? Of course. It's something that I, only when asked, I will I will tell, but I, I like to keep myself kind of in the background and push other people forward. So apologies if I have um, spoken about this before, somewhere people have listened and I'm just boring them to death. Now's the time to have a little fast forward. But um, so I always wanted to be a professional footballer. That was non-negotiable. That was going to happen. Got to 16, kind of hadn't happened. And I'd been on trial, various different places. And the classic response I got was, you're not better than what we've got. <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was a bit of a take that away and, and do nothing with it. Thank you very much. So I got to 16, ended up going back to school to do my um, A-levels. Uh, what did I do? Sport, history, graphic design, and biology. And then, yeah, love history, mad for history. Mm. Um, yeah, so I finished off that year and ended up going to Scunthorpe during that year, not telling anyone. And I used to go in the school holidays and just used to train with the, with the, with the youth team, with the YTs at the time. And then at the end of that year, or towards the end of that year, Doncaster Rovers were setting up their academy again because they got relegated a few years before and then promoted again. So the club had got into all sorts of problems. And then they started a, a youth academy. And I, I got a trial through a, a friend of a friend of a friend and was as I was playing at a reserve level of like tier, I don't know, 10 or something. So I got a trial, uh, a six-week trial, lasted about 15 weeks and still not signed me and it got to November and I'm still I'm playing the youth team against Scunthorpe and York and <clears throat> in the in this kind of pro academy but they were reluctant to sign anyone by the sounds of it anyway we all got signed at the same time November and I played there for, for the next two years then ended up getting a pro contract um, and ironically this this just sums football up it really does so I come to, I was a captain throughout the two years so I was one of the four that got a contract. So I thought, like, I'm in a decent position here. And we were all on £45 a week. Brutal. £45 a week, which is fine. Like, you do what you got to do. Then we got offered £150 a week. Wowzer. So you're on serious cash. And because they delayed my contract signing the two years previous, when it came to the summer to get a contract, the pro contract and sign it, they were like, we don't want you to sign it because you've got until November. And I was like, so I'm going to stay on £45 a week and more until November. They were like, yeah. So they wouldn't even bump me up because they were still getting the 45 quid from the, from the, um, from the football league to pay yeah. for my wages. Oh, so I ended yeah. up, I was training with the first team every day on 45 quid because they didn't want to bump me up to 150 and that probably that probably sums it up really and what we're going to chat about in the future uh, in, in, in a little bit as well anyway didn't last long got released at the end of that year went to play semi-pro football 
uh, down at Telford, played at um, Alfreton, kind of conference north level. And then I kind of gradually filtered my way back close to home um, and down as well, down the leagues. And went back to university, went to university, did my sports science degree through the PFA. And the PFA, mm-hmm. I'll say this every time when I talk about it, the PFA is superb when it comes to looking after ex-pros, ex-players. Yeah. Especially ones who have obviously fallen out of the game um, because they weren't good enough like me. And ended up going to Manchester Met. Uh, did my sports science degree over five years. Same time coaching kids in primary schools, doing P lessons and after school clubs and, and things like that across uh, Yorkshire and yeah, pretty much just Yorkshire. And um, with the aim of kind of going back to a football club in some capacity because yeah. I wanted to be in that environment. I didn't want to come in a school. Uh, I wanted to be in that environment. If I couldn't be a player, I wanted to be something else. Don't want quite sure what that was whether it was going to be a technical coach or sports scientist, not that I particularly knew what that was, even just doing a sports science degree. Mm. Um, come to the end of that, and one year, actually one year previous to me finishing, one year prior to me finishing, sorry, I had wanted to get an internship and had applied for a couple, I think went down at West Ham for, for randomly. I uh, didn't get it, and then <clears throat> ended up speaking to a lad who who I play, who I went to school with, who ended up playing for Doncaster. And he said, I'll oh, get in touch with the fitness coach, Donnie. Got in touch with him, ended up back at the club one day a week, just helping out. It wasn't an internship. I took a day off work every week, dropped my days down, lost a bit of, of cash on the uh, from, from my kind of teaching job. And just were doing piss tests and looking at heart rate traces and, I don't know, collecting balls and, speaking to players and collecting RPEs and things. And then at the end of that year, the uh, the academy guy left and I kind of filled his position. And I remember the guy, the, the lad, it was Ross Burberry who would um, who I worked with at Doncaster and he, he rolled me up and said, I've got a position. And I was like, I haven't even done anything. Like I haven't finished my degree yet. And he's like, I've already spoke to the assistant manager and the manager. They don't care that you've not qualified, not got your degree yet. We'll get you in, you can learn off me, and um, we'll go from there. So that was me for the next three years at Doncaster through various different managers, which is just crazy. Ended up with Paul Dickov, but before that was Dean Saunders, which anyone that's listened to Dean on TalkSport or anything like that knows he's an absolute nutcase. And <laughs> during that year, during that year, I was playing semi-pro football, like quite far down the league, but I was... I was I played in the reserve I played in the reserve for Doncaster at the same time I was working with the academy because they were one short they were centre back short and the assistant manager knocked on my door and said have you got your boots got your boots and shin pads I said yeah I've got trained tonight he's like you're not trained tonight you're playing for us against Sheffield Wednesday so, <laughs> so I'm I'm going to Sheffield Wednesday's training ground with the balls and the like drinks and hydration all that kind of stuff sorting the lads out before but getting changed myself ended up coming on for the last 20 minutes oh jesus that and that kind of summed up the, the time under dean um but ended up leaving going to huddersfield university working with their athletes um and then ended up going to catapult and i enjoyed the, the commercial side of the podcast getting sponsors and, and whatnot mm. and thought that role could help me out with my kind of business head and but the podcast and the connections that I'd got with that could also help out 
uh, a role at, at Catapult or someone like Catapult. And was there a couple of years and then left in December 17 to just put more energy and time into the podcast and try to build that out. And uh, yeah, here we are, four years, four years, yeah, four years later, um, self-employed, got a few other things going on as well, consultancy roles and whatnot. And then uh, two weeks ago, launched Sportsmith, which is the the rebrand of, of Strength of Science and the new home of the Pace Performance Podcast and lots of other good stuff. Yeah, and I've just said to you before we started recording, it's brilliant, um, but I wanted to sort of tap into your mindset around because what I see you as being, I'm not just saying it because you're on the podcast, but as being a, a big innovator in this sort of space, because you've gone against, you, you've swam against the tide, essentially. You've not gone into a club full time um, and you've set up your own business um, with alongside the podcast and things like that and doing things that not no one else has done, essentially. People have done since you've reached out and done that sort of work. But what... Did, what was your plans when you first set the podcast up and did you have the, the ambitions of having the business and everything after it? Or has that been like a natural progression for you? Well, just kind of set the, set the scene because we've got a new babe, <laughs> excuse me, a new baby. There's obviously been discussions around what I was like as a baby. <laughs> and I was that per, I was that kid who did the stuff that you've just said about going against the grain. If mum said something was white, I would say it was black and vice versa. And I think that's always been me, really, just trying to, not trying for the sake of it, but always just not wanting to be in the crowd and wanting to do something different. And setting up the podcast was very selfish. That was in 2013, uh, end of 2013. And I wanted a different, I wanted another job. I wanted mm-hmm. to get out of Doncaster. And I knew that I needed a network and I didn't have one. And the podcast was going to be my vehicle out of the club on 12 and a half thousand pounds doing 60 hours a week. And that was going to be my, my get out and quickly realized that it, it wasn't, it wasn't going to be the get out, but it was going to do something bigger than that. Yeah. It was never, I never had any ambitions of making money. Didn't think it was possible. Didn't even, didn't even cross my mind. It was just a thing that I enjoyed doing. And I was building this network and people were listening and people were enjoying it, getting some good feedback. And then I had a, a chat with a few people who were a lot more business savvy than I was and just said, look, you could monetize this with sponsors. And that got the wheels turning. And then I was joined Catapult and saw the commercial side of the business, of, of the industry. Yeah. And went from there, really. And the, the thing that I wanted was based on what I had with my dad as a kid, because he was self-employed from when I was about 10. Every football match, like primary school, if it was just after school at half two, three o'clock, he was there. He yeah. was the only parent there. Yeah. Used to go at athletics at, at, at high school. It was a 2 p.m. meet and he'd be there. Again, only parent there. Mm. And if this is obviously come to fruition because we've now got a daughter of our own, but that, that was always the aim to be able to be flexible. And the key word that I always spoke about to my wife was freedom yeah and it gets banded around a lot with this financial freedom um bandwagon but i just wanted the ability to to pick my kids up from school take it you know pick, pick them up on an evening um take them on a morning and just being a little bit more in charge of when i worked i knew that i worked best on a morning mm. so pre-baby 
I'd be up at six and I'd be at the computer by half six, getting stuff done early doors, knowing that in the afternoon we could have a couple of hours off or I could have a couple of hours off and, and kind of do what I wanted to do. Ironically, that never happened because there's always stuff to do. So you just work straight through. But that was my choice to do that. So that was always the aim was to have a little bit more freedom. And again, leaving Catapult in December 17 was not giving me that freedom. It did give me some freedom because Mm. although the office was in Leeds, I was working from home, which revolutionary at the time, obviously not anymore. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was just, I was always tied to the expectation of being on my phone from nine till five or longer most of the time. So yeah, that was that was the aim, and the only way to get out of that was to be a little bit more in control of of my own destiny. Yeah, class. And I know you've obviously just announced recently about Sportsmith um, and some of the, the the information that you've got on there and the sort of plans at the moment. But is there anything else that you you do, any sort of plans or anything that you can reveal about it? I know there's probably stuff going on in the background as well, but um, like, what's the plans with with Sportsmith? So Sportsmith came about because. Strength of Science, which was the umbrella brand that the Pace Performance Podcast sat under, didn't really do what I wanted it to do. Ironically, I wanted it to be Sportsmith, but five years ago, yeah. it never really did that because I just didn't have the time. I didn't have the skills and probably the people around me who were able to help develop it. And it just, Strength of Science didn't really have an identity. And starting in January, I basically just had a, a sit down with myself and just thought, Where's this going? What am I doing? Mm-hmm. What's the end game? Is the end game to keep going and just do everything myself? And you hit a ceiling and you just kind of bash at the ceiling as, as much as possible without really the ability to go through it because there's only so many hours in a day. Or do we get invest in the business, get people to do some of the work that I'm doing so I can actually concentrate on the business side with a view to either stepping back and doing less and getting the people to manage more or like a science for sport type thing and sell it Mm. and, you know, uh, aim towards that to sell the company. And then, you know, you're out or you, you take a a reduced role and and kind of take over with, with the, um, the buyers now involved. So I didn't want the first one. The first one was breaking me, which was Mm. just doing everything myself. So myself and a couple of other people who I kind of enlisted, who were trusted allies, and I just bounced ideas off, kind of go, went with the second and the third option, which were, let's put some money into this. Let's put some investment into this. Uh, only my investment, not investment uh, externally. And let's try to grow it. Yeah. Let's, like, what, what do we actually want out of it? Let's try to grow it. Um, and the thing that was holding me back from growth was that lack of identity so I went through the rebrand and anyone that's been through that it's torturous at times and it, a, a brand new process for me but coming up with a name coming up with like what that means like people asking me like the designer asking me, what do you want people to feel when they when they see the brand I'm like I have no idea <laughs> no idea but what it did do was made me think about the tough questions like that because it has to, it has to mean something. Yeah. I mean, ever, everyone goes into jobs and I don't know, football clubs are commercial entities and you get a vision, you get a mission and everyone goes, that's terrible. It doesn't yeah. mean anything to anyone, but it does, 
it does mean something to people that matter in the business who are making decisions mm. to align against. So I went through all that process, came up with Sport, Sportsmith, the name, which was the like a blacksmith or wordsmith, playing on that to be the craft element of, of kind of what, what coaches do. And not only coaches, but people who are involved in performance sport, whether that be CEOs or marketing directors or SNC coaches, players, um, technical staff, take that craft and try to try, try to run with it really. So that was that yeah. was Sportsmith. And we've got so we've got uh, 25 contributors who are who are, con- who are writing weekly for Sportsmith um, from across the world. So various different topics and various different experts fit into each. So really proud of that that team that has been assembled. Um, got some courses coming up, some online courses again, utilizing the best guys and girls around, which is the the essence of of what I've always wanted to do was, and, and built out, born out of a bit of frustration of the nonsense and the crap that is online, and try to cut through it. Yeah, and I think that's what I tried to do with the website was almost go over and above what I thought people expected, whether it be the structure or just what it looked like. I didn't want to go with the norm. I didn't want to go again, going back to the white is black and black is white mm. type of thing as a kid, try and lift things up and, and increase the expectation of, of our industry and what people expect from education providers or websites or courses, rather than just doing everything on the cheap and everything on the basic and st- like fumbling through, which is what I've done since 2013. Like, let's go all in. Mm. Let's have some fun and we either it goes to the to the sky or we crash and burn. <laughs> so that's no, I mean that's that, I've seen the the guys that you got contributing and that, and like the, I know the information is going to be top quality. So um yeah, the team in terms of the, the contributors, like absolutely class. So I know there'll be some I've seen good stuff coming out of it already, but I know there'll be even more. So no, it's great to see you, mate. And I, I wish you all the best of it. And but Thank I know it, I know it'll work, and I know it'll be quality. Thank you. Um, but one thing I wanted to touch on, or a couple of things I wanted to touch on, was the the surveys that you've been running. Um, I thought the podcast would be a good opportunity to sort of dive into some of these. A lot of the areas on, that we're going to touch on are things that we've spoke about on the podcast before. But obviously, we've now got stats to back things up. Um, and just before we obviously start, we've got to sort of talk about the numbers that were involved in the survey. Um, and I know I know there's extra work going to be going into it and going to be hopefully reaching out to more people. But I think it's important to talk about the numbers involved first, but also just to reach out to you and, and say, like, why, what, what was the initial reasons for setting them up? Yeah, so you go on social media, you go on Twitter in particular, and you get everyone angry. And it's, I think it's calmed down a little bit, but it comes in fits and starts. Yeah. Everyone angry about, <coughs> excuse me, about salaries, about, about how people get jobs, whether it be people you know and all that kind of stuff. And I just thought, is this is it actually as bad as what we think? Mm. Like all these, like the, there was a Blackpool example, Blackpool, Blackpool, Blackpool football Blackpool club. Gate. The famous, <laughs> famous Blackpool gate. I think it was 12 grand, first team, <laughs> full-time, and it just got absolutely destroyed. And that's one example. But all these terrible examples do surface. But I just thought I wanted to put some objectivity onto onto all these discussions. Like, is it as bad as we think? Or 
is there actually some good stuff and we just don't know about it because it never makes its way onto Twitter or whatever. Yeah. So that was the that was the sole reason. And it was just put some objectivity onto discussion. And as a kind of secondary aim was to provide people with a little bit of a benchmark. Mm-hmm. So if I, I was at Doncaster, I was on 12 and a half thousand. Was that I knew I knew that it wasn't great. But I probably didn't know how bad it was because I had nothing to compare to. I didn't know anyone yeah. to ask how much they were getting paid and how it how it compared to other Cat Three academies. So I wanted that for people. I wanted to allow give people a resource to go into their line manager and say, "I'm on X. This survey says that someone in my position should be on Y, but I'm I'm getting screwed." Mm. So it was little things like that that was a kind of a secondary aim for it. But then yeah, there was the the pilot report, which was the Academy football one, which I think was about 100 people, maybe 90, I'm not quite sure. And then later on came the um, came the senior football one, which was taken um, England and Scotland and Wales. And then the ro- most recent, there's been a rugby union one. At the start of next month, there'll be a rugby league one. Then we've got data from the MLS. We've got... Uh, a revamped academy football one, yeah, which will come after that, and then we're going to do ones in various different sports. And then the aim with it is to compare the lot, so compare against different sports and and uh, give a bit of a roundup of, of that, and then look at different different roles, physios, mm. analysts, mm. and just get a bit of a better picture of what employment's like out there for for people in performance sport. Is it? Everyone comes out of probably college, school, and doesn't have much of a clue. I, I've, I've just spoke to someone before on the podcast, and they were saying that they did that exact journey, knew that they wanted to sort of be involved in sport, but didn't know what they wanted to do. And with this information, this could be that these are all the job opportunities. These are all the salaries or the range of salaries. And I know another area is like the hours worked and all that sort of stuff. So you can start planning your career a little bit better can't you I suppose um but one thing I was going to ask initially was there any like standouts for you like where you where you looked at it and you thought wow like whether it was a surprise or whether it just backed up um something that you sort of knew that was going to come out of it yeah the one thing I've got it here in front of me so if you can hear me clicking and scrolling away I just remind myself what the numbers are but the employment method which is what we introduce in the senior football survey And there's a little bit of a misconception here because we only give a couple of options and then put an other and a few people expanded in that other um, to create a bit of confusion, but I'll explain. So yeah, 38% of people in British football, British senior football, got their role from a recommendation Mm. in a job that was not publicly available. No, sorry, didn't have a publicly available job advert. Yeah, so 38%, so a third one, recommendations, which I kind of knew anyway. We all know, but it was nice to have a number on it, and I think that potentially shocked a few people. Then we've got 34% promotion. So, again, that did, didn't differentiate between, because that, that role may have been advertised and that person got it internally. Mm-hmm. My guess would be the majority of those things didn't get advertised and yeah. just moved up, moved up internally. Um, then there was 17% uh, club recruitment, which was a publicly available job advert. Then 
There was a recruitment company at 5%, which I think will be an area that will only increase as, yeah. as people are moving into that market to, um, to help with recruitment. Then there's a couple of others, which were 1% contacted the club and got a job off the back of that. 3% moved with a manager, which understandable, that, that definitely happens. 1% of a university link, and then 1% offered a position after an internship slash placement. Mm. And that last one is where the confusion came because that wasn't necessarily an option. That was an other provided by one person. Okay. So I think people saw that and went only 1% offered, like got a, got a job because they got offered a position after an internship. Yeah. Well, no, but that could have filtered into promotion as well. So again, we've tried to play around with that for the next survey so it's not as ambiguous um on on the next one yeah that that was something i pointed out straight away because the couple of ones i i think it's interesting the 38 percent of recommendations um but the two i pointed out straight away were the internships but that makes that makes more sense now but also yeah. the moving with the manager but i thought that would have probably been higher um mm. just thinking about staff moving together and especially in senior football as well like i, I I'd have thought that that would have been higher, but that was a bit of a shock to me that that was only at 3%. Yeah, one thing that we didn't get was any directors of. We only got heads of. So would anyone be like a head or below be moving with the manager? Mm. Probably heads would, yeah. Heads definitely would. But I think if we did get directors of, we'd probably seen more of them them kind of, uh, their numbers go up. However... We, I presume we didn't get the kind of staff that will come from abroad with a manager, mm. like the um, the guy at Wolves, uh, sorry, used to be at Wolves, Nuno Espirito Santo, yeah, brings his guy with yeah. him. He didn't fill in that survey. Yeah, I know yeah, for yeah. a fact he didn't fill in that survey. Um, so it's them kind of people we wouldn't have got uh, filling in the survey unfortunately which kind of skews it a little bit but just a very quick update on our online community we've got over 40 hours of content available now on the community from webinars presentations extra interviews we upload all the podcasts on there as well um, and it's a great way of interacting with other practitioners involved in the game as well so there's some great conversations that go on in our whatsapp group with our members Um, So you can become part of our online community. You can get three months to see exactly what it's all about by going to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign up there. It'll give you one month free. After the free month, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. So you get loads of great content. All the presentations that are going to be going on in our networking events will be uploaded. And also, I've mentioned it a few times, we have got our upgrade coming very soon. From when this podcast goes out, probably about four weeks or so until the upgrade goes live and it is looking absolutely fantastic. So you can go and check it out. Um, Go to footballfitfed.com, take your free month and then delve into some of the information that is available on the community and get chatting with other professionals involved in the game as well. I'll lead you to part two of the episode with Rob Pacey. Yeah, well, and that's why I said before, it's, it's interesting, um, obviously, looking at numbers, but then we've got to understand it isn't everyone in the game, is it? But it's still no. there's still plenty of takeaways from it. And yeah. I suppose in terms of the recommendations, 
on recommended by the club by someone else so is that this shows the importance of, of knowing people doesn't it it shows the importance of, of the network and um the strength of that network as well in terms yeah. of if it's 38 percent or it could potentially be higher like and, and like you said if these are jobs aren't being filled by the adverts and it's from that recommendation there's there's something in that big time isn't there oh 100 i mean this is not to make myself look or sound good but and you you'll i'm guessing you'll have it with with people as well like because last three weeks two people do you know anyone got this job i'm helping this person out Mm -hmm. who's looking for this looking to fill this role do you know anyone and yeah i'm sure that happened well that'll be happening daily across the country do you know anyone got this position don't want to advertise it but will if we're after type of thing um if we get some decent candidates we'll just go with them and it's them kind of things that you want to not you but anyone wants to be the forefront of someone's mind when that happens yeah and how can you how can you go about that firstly it's pretty not been a dick um and been likable and obviously just been at, yeah, been at the top of people's minds when them phone calls do come in. You go, perfect. One came in like two weeks ago. The guys had an interview at, at, at the um, at the club. Straight away, yep, I'm going to put that guy in. I like him. Like, how many times, if anything comes like like that comes across my phone or messages or anything, how many times have I seen that person in practice mm-hmm. to say he's unbelievable? Yeah. Well, never. I don't see him at work. I <laughs> yeah. just know him because I'd like you speak to him or you go and meet him for a coffee or whatever. So you're never recommending on quality, on, on quality of work. You're just recommending on people that you know and like. Yeah. Like, did that other stuff take care of itself at interview or, or chats with the manager or whatever? So yeah, that's just be likable and be at the forefront of people's minds as best as possible. My boy uses he go for a beer with you, doesn't he? And that's that's what I think a lot of people have got to focus on, like being that person that isn't a dick and that you can you can have a beer with. You mentioned it before as well about Ross, didn't you? When you said yeah. about the club offering you the role, when you said about not finishing the the degree and all the rest of it, and then still going ahead with it. And and that's what the other thing I was going to bring up about the fifty percent, fifty seven percent, no accreditation. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting because I think that sort of ties into that that why are clubs hiring who they're hiring? Are they hiring it off qualifications? Are they hiring it off experience? Are they hiring it off the personal? And I know I'm not asking you this to answer it, but it's, it's just an interesting area, isn't it? That, that like, are we, are we focusing our energy on the right areas to get ourselves positions? Yeah, I think it's a, yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I think, so 57% don't have any accreditation in football. Let me just see, let me remind myself what it's like in rugby union. So oh, you'd think just under would be half. higher, wouldn't you? Oh, so they're lower. Just under half. Wow. Yes. Which is, you'd think more people don't have an accreditation in football. Yeah. Than in rugby. So that's that kind of stands um to make sense almost half of all respondents held no professional accreditation in rugby union that was across australia new zealand england and scotland and wales as well mm-hmm. with about 95 respondents i think yeah so yeah 
do, do pro clubs value accreditation? According to the football one, <laughs> clearly not. Yeah. Nine, 9% were accredited in football for the UKCA. 12% with the NSCA, 12% with the ASCA. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I, the, the, the evidence would say that they don't. Yeah. Some do. Like, yeah, Des Ryan, and he's like... UKCA through and through and and will insist on UKCA accreditation and yeah but I just it's I think it's a it's a struggle for people in clubs to show why they need that based on this information but I think the something is needed like well that's what I was hundred percent but yeah. they clearly don't that for whatever reason they don't think that it's what's on offer I was trying to think of job adverts recently that I've looked at majority if not all includes UKSA accreditation don't they or they used to use UKSA accreditation or um, ability to achieve within six months or something like that wasn't it Um, and that's the majority I can't I can't think of many that haven't included that and I don't know if you saw the one recently that um, I think Dave Carolan retweeted I don't know who about playing experience Seattle Sounders, yeah. Was it Seattle? Yeah. yeah. So I've yeah, been yeah. playing experience. Yeah. So that's like a whole new thing, isn't it? That um, I've never never seen that. But then no. at the same time, how many practitioners have probably got that? Wowzer. It's few, isn't it? Yeah. Very, very few. Um, doesn't say how good try- you got to be either, does it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. No. Um, I don't know. Are they making that job description fit someone they want? Like mm. that's been done before. That's done all the time, isn't it? To try to oh 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 we've only had one oh that's weird maybe just the one we wanted yeah so that that could be potential but yeah I mean something that's come up in in my podcast quite a few times is this the importance of having some relatable uh, experience as a player you know even at a even at a lower level spoke to Lieger who's at uh, Feyenoord mm. he used to play semi pro and he was talking about how vital he thought that experience from him for him was in terms of being relate being able to relate to players and even just a rehab session for example like uh, donny i i always used to be wheeled out for the rehab sessions rob long passing go do some long passing because my touch wasn't horrendous like the physios so the players running around and chasing balls all the time and like hit a decent long pass and it was just yeah, roll Rob out because he can he can do that. Whereas the yeah. physio is not a chance. So yeah, that's just yeah off topic, I guess. But no, an interesting one based on what David said. Yeah, it is. It is. And then obviously looking at salaries, like the, this is the interesting stuff, and it's stuff that people don't talk talk about, isn't it? As soon as you talk about mm. money, people get a bit twitchy and don't want to speak about it. But um, salary range. So the salary range came out as between sixteen. And two hundred eight thousand per year, which is a yes. a big big range, isn't it? And obviously, <laughs> you're talking at you're talking people that are newly qualified, aren't you? That, that are literally just starting out on their journey. So sixteen k, yeah. like you've mentioned before, like yeah. we've all probably been on that at some point. But then two hundred eight thousand, like it. I suppose it depends on the percentage of the jobs that are out there that are paying that amount. Um. Yeah which we probably won't know right now, I might have a decent idea about clubs and certain amounts that are paying that sort of money. But um, And then you and then it breaks it down even further, doesn't it, into average salary 35K? Yeah. 
Um, and then the other interesting thing, I think, is the qualifica qualifications, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral, and how that impacts salary. Yeah. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, whether that's in line with what you thought or whether they sort of stand out as maybe not being as much or less than what you thought. I'm glad it turned out that way. Yeah. For the sake of everyone with doing a PhD and or having done a master's, I'm glad it turned out that way for those people. Imagine. Because <clears throat> it's an inc incremental, like 34 grand for a bachelor's, 42 grand for a master's, and then 42 grand for other post-grad and then 52 for, um, for someone with a PhD. So I'm glad it turned out that way. <clears throat> a bit embarrassing if um, the doctoral ones are paid less than the rest, but <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's kind of what I, I would have... I would have thought um, the, there was only one at 208. So in the, in the analysis that was taken out at points when we're trying, trying to not skew things. Yeah. Um, and there was two people at one to 125 K. So then them two do drag things up, which is why we've removed them at, at points and, and made a note of where it, where those have been removed. Yeah. I would suggest that the, the 208 is someone that's moved with the, with the manager. Mm. Um, again, we didn't get any directors of, so if there were, I would have guessed if that would have been more of that type of salary, but we didn't, so we're kind of down that majority, down that 50 grand or below level. Um, I thought it was better. I thought it was better than ma the majority of people would have expected. Um, so average mean salary, like you say, across the 130 respondents was 35K. Yeah, I think personally, I think that's better than what people thought. And that's exactly why I wanted to do it. Yeah. Because yeah. it puts a number on, maybe it doesn't fit people's narrative, doesn't fit people's anger. Like maybe that just isn't, this doesn't give people the ammunition they need to tell everyone else that everything's terrible. Mm. And that's unfortunate for them people. But I think it does objectify some of them discussions, hopefully. But it's also we can get caught in a trap of complaining about something that we generally yeah. know what we're working towards, don't we? Like if if someone's gonna if we know that the average salary is 35k and then you get to earn 35k and you complain about earning 35k, well, you pretty much knew that that was what you were working towards anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So is are there other things that you can do to change that? Yes, probably. Um yeah. so I suppose it's just giving people a bit more, this is why I, I think it's going to be really beneficial for people because especially people going through university or even like I said, even earlier, that know they want to be involved in sport in some way, shape or form. If you're creating this, all this information for S&Cs, for sports scientists, for physios, for therapists, like there's a lot of things that you can sort of visualize and see, isn't there? Whereas now or previously, there hasn't been that. And we've been into it, we've been going into it a little bit blind. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you go into any university and on the prospectus for the sports sports department or sports science degree is the one person in the last 10 years that's come through and worked at the local club. Yeah. And they're they're paraded around as if they're like gods. Um, probably not for their own for their own want, but yeah. for the university's want. And people get roped into thinking there's jobs out there. And there is like there's some jobs, of course there are. But will universities put this kind of information out to prospective, um, prospective, prospective students? Probably not, um, because it probably doesn't tell the story that they 
that they want to tell. But another thing that we we did in the latest survey, and what, like I said before, what I want to do is create all these different sports, all these different uh, roles, and then compare against them all. So I'm conscious of adding new stuff, but new stuff does help. I think it helps paint the picture. And one new question that we added into the next one, which is a, a revamp of the Academy survey, which was the pilot one, was how many hours do you work in a typical week? And it should have been added in the previous one, but for whatever reason, it, it wasn't. Because that leads to a nice, not is it nice? Probably not. It's probably eye-catching more than nice story when you compare salaries to hours worked and then get an hourly rate, which may scare some people. Um, but just like I'll pick a few out. We've got how many, how many respondents do we get for this one? About 135 respondents. Um, we've got 60, loads of 50s, quite a few 55s, 60 to 80. Um, 45 at best, 70 at worst. Uh, yeah, 60s, 60 plus, 60. And we have got some normal 35s and 40s. Um, I'd be interested to see the average. I could probably do it here, but it'll kill it. Um, yeah, so it's, I think that, that will probably shock a few people once we do the, the conversion to an hourly rate, because that, yeah, that may not look too favorable. And then that leads to, like ethical issues around what these people are, how many hours these people are doing. And I know what the answer will be, like other, other coaches are doing it, physios are doing it, and it's just a kind of accepted norm when you work in, when you work in pro sport or you work in football, that's what you do. But I'm, I just want, and I think it's Nick Grantham that said, you go in with your eyes wide open. And this is just allowing people to go in with their eyes open wider because it gives the gives some information that they can work with and they're not going in and in the first two weeks going, I'm working 60 hours. This is brutal. Like this is the information. You knew that because the average weekly uh, working week is 55 hours or 65 hours or whatever it turns out to be. So it's providing information where people can go in with their eyes wide open. I think it's probably a good way of them reflecting on what they actually do as well. Cause I bet there's people out there that do 60 hour weeks that probably don't even realize they do it. They just feel like they do it because it's needed or it's maybe frowned upon if you don't do that many hours or whatever. Um, the whole pro productivity debate can come into it, can't it? Like how productive are we being at a 60 hour week? Do we need to be there for 60 hours or can we cut it down? But I suppose there's more than just one person's influence that is going to affect that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I used to, when I was at Doncaster, it was always, we'd do two late days. So we'd do the Monday and the Wednesday. Um, I'd do like, I don't know, half seven till half eight, the, obviously 13 hours later, because the, the the younger kids were in. And on a, on a Wednesday, sorry, on a Tuesday and a Friday, if I was there at three o'clock, they'd be banging on wind, the coach would be banging on my window going, what are you still doing here? Yeah. I, when you can take time, take time get away mm. do it but i just i fear that there's probably not many of those people around and there's more of the i'm here so you're here mm. type of thing and yeah. i suppose people in nfl like american football where well, that's definitely the case mm. like if the coaches are still there i can't leave i've just got to be here yeah nothing to do but i can't i just can't go yeah and i'm sure that's a lot i'm sure that's very similar in other sports but it's pretty sad if people are doing these 70 hour weeks just because they ex they're expected to, and then actually they could do it in 50 or 40. 
Yeah, and, and then the debate comes up of what, what you said before, and I'm obviously fully on the same page as you with it, that around family, freedom, like taking time back, being able to do things that you want to do. And I've always got the opinion of I don't want to have to be in any place at any certain time. Like, yep. And if that's if you can take that control back, and I know that's, that's easier said being out of a club, um, but for me, when you're talking about those sorts of hours of a week, is that attractive? I don't know. Yeah. It obviously is for some people because they do it. Um, yeah. And maybe at some stage of their lives as well. But um, I, th- I do think it's really, really valuable to bring up this information and, and make it more aware to people. Mm. We've actually got a, an article coming out on Sportsmith in the week or two. And it's talking to it's an editorial piece, and there's there's four or five interviews in that piece with people who have left <clears throat> left pro sport to go private and work with players individually. Yeah. So work privately. Um, a couple of people, one who's left a top four club in the last six months, one that used to work in a top half Premier League team um, a few years ago and has built a real business, a real solid business yeah. of working with players privately. And people are seeing that. And, and it's obviously a bit of a trend with players having their own little support network around them, which people can tap into like S and C coaches and sports scientists can tap into as long as they've got the buying from the players themselves. And obviously a, a clear line of communication to the club, but yeah, the options are there. So there's a really interesting piece coming out in I think, a couple of weeks. I think people will really, be a bit of an eye-opener yeah no that's it's definitely the trend now as well isn't it and I think this is Mm. the reason that people are starting to reflect a little bit more um and and trying to reevaluate their situations I think the other thing for me which probably sounds obvious but at the same time you I think you'll get where I'm coming from in a little bit but I think this sort of stuff encourages the natural career path of going from academy to first team doesn't it because wages are more attractive at first team, which you could argue they should be because they're bringing in more revenue and all the rest of it. But then are we losing coaches, good quality coaches from an academy point of view to a first team that could maybe have a real big impact at that academy level, which we know that um, there's a lot of impact that can be made at those ages as well um, with, with the younger players. So I think that's another thing to consider, isn't it? And I don't know where, this is obviously just my point of view on it, but it's something that stood out to me is that we're just encouraging people to go, right, you, you transition through to first team because that's where the money can be made. Yeah, I mean, again, referencing Des Ryan and Pordy and Perry uh, and the rest of the guys down at Arsenal, who, speaking to Des, they are paid reasonably well for an academy coach because they see them as valuable to the club yeah. to keep them in them positions and not be dragged up by the bright lights of <clears throat> of the first team or first team elsewhere. And they're paid, you know, reasonably enough to, to stay there and be what Desert said, career academy coaches. Mm. They, they are they are the ones that are best to work with academy players mm-hmm. and not just be an academy coach that can't really afford to stay there. So has to be a first team coach because that's where the cash is, like you say. So yeah. yeah, whether that'll change, I think there'll always be a, a big discrepancy with um, with first team staff and academy staff. But hopefully, you'll get people like a Des Des Ryan who sets the bar for academy salaries, mm-hmm. academy staff to stick around and be career academy coaches because that is where they're going to make the biggest impact. Yeah, and I suppose it depends on the club then and how much they value the academy, doesn't it? Because if you're going to be a club that 
um, doesn't put money into the academy and they don't really expect academy players to get through to first team, then, yeah, they're not going to invest in it. Are they just going to go at first team level? But if it is, I mean, Arsenal are a good example because they've had players get through to first team recently, which I know Des has tweeted about, that they've literally gone through that process with those coaches or that have moved on to other Premier League clubs and playing first team. So it's obviously showing the impact as well, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. It's always a nice story when that happens and you get the, the kids through and they either move on or they get first team debuts and they stick around in the first team. And it's a little bit easy to ask for a bit more money for your staff when that happens versus yeah. you're asking for more money, but we added an academy player through in the last 10 years, which not anyone's fault of an SNC coach, but mm. that's what I suppose gets measured on. Success gets measured on, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. And uh, the other one, Rob, was. Um, three percent female practitioners so yes obviously we know why we know that the amount of female practitioners involved because this is just the men's game isn't it Correct. um so there's, women's, there's a girls one coming out as well which will be interesting there's a, won't there's, it? A, there's, a, there's a girls one coming out for uh england and the us so together yeah so there's a bit easy comparison across across us and uh and england for the women's stuff yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, it is very interesting because when I've spoke to female coaches and some really, really top coaches as well that have had incredible, incredible CVs, that there's hesitancy around applying for jobs in the male game. And that's a bit of a broad yeah. statement on some of the people and some of the experiences and conversations that I've had. But I don't think it should be the case. Like if, if a coach is good and they have aspirations of working in the men's game, it shouldn't really matter. But then... Yeah. Is that going to change? Like, are we going to see big changes if this is repeated in five, ten years' time? Hopefully, it does change, um, yeah. and it will be interesting to see how that that changes. And also, when that next one comes out, to see the percentages um, of male and female involved in the women's game as well, um, that will be interesting. Yeah, just a little scout through the academy one. Um, in the six in the academy one, the new academy one. Yeah, six out of a hundred and. 135. Yeah. yeah. So again, what's that going to be four or five percent? And I would mm. I would imagine it'd have been a bit higher in the academy versus a first team. Yeah. For whatever reason, but I just would I, I would imagine that. But even so, six out of 135 is pretty good, pretty grim. But it then is. like just to just to give a kind of hopefully a balanced viewpoint i actually looked at my youtube stats of and people don't listen as much on youtube as they do on itunes and, and spotify and things like that as probably the same with you yeah but you can't get that kind of information on itunes and spotify you can get some deep analytics with youtube and i actually looked and i think there was something like five five or six thousand hours of audio would, would listen to on youtube and I thought, oh, I wonder who these people are. I'll put it to you. I'm not to put you on the spot here. But how many, what percentage of those, of those 5,000 to 6,000 hours of audio that was listened to, what percentage of those listens were from females versus males? What do you reckon? I'd say it would fall in line with um, what we're saying here. So I'd say majority... Majority males. It was less than 1% were female. Wow. Yeah. 
And I, I spoke to Aiden, not to chuck Aiden under the bus, but Aiden Oakley as well. And I think on his rehab in sport webinars that are available for free on YouTube, mm. I seem to think him saying his were about 1% as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a strange one. Like, I don't know, maybe being Aiden just to, yeah don't come across in the right way for that for the female audience i'm not quite sure but yeah so that that was just our our um stats on youtube i thought yeah. quite interesting it is interesting because obviously that doesn't determine whether they're working in male or female sport either does it because no if you're doing a rehab um webinar that should cover well not even just football it, it's multi-sports it was as all well. sorts yeah it was international yeah it was various different sports it was Male and female presenters. It was, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I'd love, I'd love to know what it'd be like for podcasts like yourselves, like mine, to get an idea of like who's who's listening for their own education. Um, is the females out there that are just looking at the look at these reports and going, not for me, thank you. Yeah. And uh, and doing something else. I don't know. Well, I suppose if you do look at it from a female perspective and you see only 3%, yeah. are, you, are, are they then thinking, well, there's not opportunities? Um, and does that put them off? And then we've taken everything else into account. If we start talking about 60-hour 60, 60 work weeks and all the rest of it, yeah. it but this is the truth, isn't it? So um, it, I think it's really important to highlight. But yeah, it is, it is very interesting. It'll be interesting as well to repeat it because I do see a bit of a... That are hopefully there's going to be more opportunities um, for females in, in the men's game. But so in, repeating it in five, 10, 15 years' time, it might look very different. Yeah. Um, hopefully that'll be the case. And the, But we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Yeah, absolutely. I'll keep graphing keep graph for the next 15 years. Rob, this is, I think, honestly, I think that the information that you're getting out there, not obviously getting into more sports um, and more, mm. more statistics coming out is really, really valuable. And I know there's a lot of people that have looked into the survey already. Um, and obviously with more numbers getting involved in it, I think it's going to be more beneficial for people. So I just thought it'd be really good to sort of highlight some of the, the, yeah. the things that stood out for me Um when I looked through it and, and just highlight those and have a good chat about with, with yourself about it. So I of appreciate course. you coming and doing it, mate. Pleasure. Pleasure to chat and go through it. And if, if anyone wants to see it and get hold of the reports, it's just sportsmith.co slash reports. And there's been pretty one every six weeks now for the foreseeable in various different sports. So people can get, and the free, of course, people to download. Incredible. Well, mate, keep up the amazing work. I'll be, uh, keeping my eyes all over Sportsmith because it looks incredible um, and listen to the podcast. So really appreciate everything you do and for coming on the podcast as Cheers, well. Cheers, Pleasure, mate. Good chat. Thanks, Rob. Just want to say a big thanks to Rob for coming on. I know he's got loads on with work at the moment, but also he's recently just had a little one. So uh, anyone that's got young kids will know that it takes up a lot of time. So I appreciate him freeing up some time and coming on the podcast. It was great to chat with him. Great to chat around his background um, and journey, but then also delve into the um, surveys that he's recently put out as well. Some really interesting information. Some of the the key takeaways for me, he was speaking about creating freedom. I I relate to that really well because that's a big part of why I do what I do. Um, 
And I know a lot of people in football will feel like they're not in as much control being at clubs. But there are probably certain things you can do to take back a little bit of freedom as well. And I think more of this information that comes out from these surveys will allow you to sort of reassess and, and think about how you can um, go about, it sounds a bit cheesy, but creating the life that you want, um, working the hours that you want and all the rest of it. And then he spoke about the reasons for getting the surveys out there as the anger in the industry and the, and the fact that people were talking about wages, the opportunities and things like that. So clearing up some of the facts on those areas as well um adding objectivity to to that so a lot of opinion based stuff that goes on out there so he wanted to add some objectivity to the discussions that were going on but a lot of it came down to um being likable having the social skills and the relationships and things that we talk about a hell of a lot on the podcast um focusing on those because a lot of the time when we spoke about 38 percent of the jobs that are given out with recommendations that shows the strength of your network um, it's really really important obviously that's why we have the meetings um, but also why we encourage people to to get out and speak to people um, and grow that network because you never know where it's going to lead and I think that's really really important to create more opportunities for yourself so I hope you enjoyed the episode with Rob if you've not looked at the surveys um, I'll attach the link in the show notes so you can go and check them out but I know he, he mentioned in the the episode that he's got more coming as well so keep an eye out for those because I think the information is, is really good obviously we have to stay um, and keep in mind the numbers that were involved 138 on the football one and I think it was 96 or so on the academy one so it's not every single member of staff that gets involved but if you, you are at a club and you didn't take part in the survey last time, when Rob reaches out or puts it out on social media, get involved because it's anonymous. Um, but I think it it gives some really good information to the industry as a whole. But I really appreciate you listening. Go and check Rob out. He's at SportsmithHQ on Twitter. Um, I'm sure you're already following like like majority of people involved in the industry. But yeah, I really appreciate listening to the podcast. If you've not left an iTunes review already, please go and leave us a short review. And I will speak to you next week in episode 151.